Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. New year, new us, 2023. Let's get it. We were gone for two weeks, and it felt like a thousand things happened, but in reality, four things happened. So we're going to talk to you about those four things, including a new hire, a portal out, portal in. Man, just checking the boxes of off-season content. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to see Mizzou get active uh, both in the coaching hiring cycle and then also in the transfer portal. So it's good to see you, man. Good to be back with you. How you doing? How was your new year? Uh, it's good. I went to bed at 10. There you go. I uh, woke up and it was a new year. So there you go. Very excited to get after it. I think, you know, for you and me, the bowl game was just kind of a, it was an event that happened, right? It was, it was the conclusion mm-hmm. of the season, but we were all waiting to figure out what that mystery hire was going to be, who the portaling out, the portaling in, who that all was going to be. There's just a lot of anticipation for turning the page. And nothing against that the 2022 team, uh, but the we got through the bowl and it's like, all right, so what's next? <laughs> because as we've spoken about many times, we here at Rock M have had 2023 as the targeted year of like, this is when it's all going to come together. Uh, we're going to see a breakthrough. What does that mean from wins lost? Hey, we got all off season to talk about it, but that's what we've always been looking at. And we wanted to get to that point. And the biggest thing that was going to lead us to that point was making that hire. And lo and behold, Eli finally made a hire. He hired an offensive coordinator, BK. He hired an actual OC. His name is Kirby Moore. He's a Boise State grad. He's coached at Fresno State for the past seven years. He was a wide receivers coach for most of that. He was their offensive coordinator this past year. He is 31 years old. <laughs> it's crazy young. When you saw this news, Grace, your timeline, BK, what was your initial thought? Um, my, my initial thought, if I'm just full disclosure, huh, interesting. I know Kirby's brother. I don't know anything about Kirby more, other than that he happened to also play at Boise State. I'm familiar with Kellen Moore, big fan of his work with the Dallas Cowboys. He's done a really good job as their offensive coordinator. Kirby Moore, I'm going to be totally honest with you, haven't watched a whole lot of Fresno State. So that was my initial reaction before watching anything from Fresno. What was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was a quiet good. Good. Because I was really concerned 
that Eli was going to either a make a quarterbacks coach hire. And that it, that was it. Or B pick from that very shallow pool of 20 dudes that he's worked with before. And knowing that he went, uh, let's call it buying low, (laughs) um, kind of like what he was uh, as a hire for Missouri's head coach. Kirby Moore very much feels like that for Missouri's offensive coordinator, where you are seeing a lot of things that project well. He's not there yet, but you want to get him while he's still available and have him reach that potential with Mizzou. So he's an outsider. He is young. He is familiar with that Boise Drinkwitz, Chris Peterson style of offense, but he's done it in an, in a, in a culture that's not the one that, that created Eli Drinkwitz. You know, they weren't even Eli and, and Kirby weren't even at Boise state at the same time. They missed each other by a year. So this is not like a familiarity thing. This is, Hey, this guy runs something similar to what I run and he does it in a, in a different way. And what you and I have talked about, I talked about with the St. Louis Tiger Club last week, was that I was hoping he could find someone who could come in from the outside and assess what was going on with a fresh set of eyes, who was empowered in a way to ask questions and make changes. And I don't know that's going to happen, but because of where he comes from and that bifurcation of of spheres of influence between him and Drinkwitz, I feel like he has that ability to do so. And I hope it's done because I think the pieces are here. You just need someone who can run the offense differently than what Eli Drinkwitz has been doing for the past three years. What is your biggest issue with Missouri's running game? The offensive line. Well, <laughs> scheme-wise. <laughs> just, uh, just yeah. Fair, fair yeah. response, but not what I was specifically looking no. for. Uh, the, the problem with the run game is that Eli Drinkwitz is a lazy play caller. And he goes to his binky, which is outside zone, way, 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 way too much. He calls that uh, over a hundred times in the past uh, the past year with a with a terrible success rate, and that's just what he does. That's my problem. It's with the worst game. play, and he calls it the most often. Yep. And guess what? For, at least from what I saw, I only watched three games, so it could have been different in other games because uh, I'll, I'll get to this a little bit more later on. But Kirby Moore has specific game plans for specific defenses based on what his personnel is available for that game, which, you know, that's a good thing. Um, but the three games that I saw, he leaned far more heavily on the inside zone. So it is still a zone blocking scheme that he primarily goes with in the running game, but it is far more on the inside zone. So that that's good. That, that could get... Um, Eli Drinkwitz out of that element in terms of the passing game they are different but much like Eli Drinkwitz Kirby Moore also relies on the quick game and yards after catch Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of similarities there and I wouldn't necessarily say the Missouri's passing game was like broken last year in terms of schematically it was kind of boring sometimes but Mm -hmm. schematically it was mostly fine And I think that's a place where Kirby Moore is going to help the most. So he comes in and schematically, like if we're just focusing on what are some things that Mizzou fans will or should notice immediately schematically, you're going to probably see some more inside zone. And I think you're going to see some more creativity in the passing game in terms of what the concepts are that they're running. So Kirby Moore is going to help in those two areas. And if that was all he did, and I don't believe it will be, but if that was all he did, that would already be an improvement offensively. I thought the single most important thing, though, that we heard from the press conference that Eli Drinkwitz gave, uh, Nate, is that this is not just a title for Kirby Moore. Kirby Moore was a sought-after guy. Kirby Moore, if he continued to wait, could have probably got a bigger job than Mizzou if things continued going in the right direction at Fresno State. He's coming to Mizzou, at least based on what Eli Drinkwitz said, to be the offensive guy. He's going to be in charge of the offense. Now, I'm sure Drinkwitz will have influence in the game plans, but it sounds like Kirby Moore is going to be running mostly his book, or at least a combination of his book with Drink's book. And Kirby is going to be the one, based on the comments, that is making the play calls in-game. Is that what you took away from it as well? Did you have the same takeaway from Eli Drinkwitz's press conference where he said, like, He's they're going to go ahead and get him the ingredients and then Mm -hmm. he's going to cook the meal. That's a, that's exactly what I think it means. At least that's what I hope it means. 
Eli, you know, admitted the the shortcomings of him being head coach and coordinator at the same time. Um, you know, back when when you were gone, Josh and I talked about the different types of coaches, and you know, I think Josh nailed it at the time. Eli is a is a CEO coach who thinks he's a scheme guy, <laughs> and his strengths are raising money, connecting with fans and boosters, and recruiting. And maybe he used to be a scheme guy. Maybe he still is. But the demands of a head coach are far more than just calling plays or scripting plays. And when you're getting pulled into the administrative side, you lose a little bit of that edge on the scheme side. And we've seen diminishing returns in his ability to game plan for opponents or, you know, scheme to weakness and and move around with your strengths and the pieces you have available. We have not seen a lot of adaptability from his game plans in the past couple of years. So when he says that he's bringing in a guy to, to cook, Yes, not only do I hope what it means is that Kirby's got free reign to call it as his offense, I hope that's also what it is, and I hope Eli continues to hold to his word and not stay completely out, but really let Kirby do what he wants to do without the overbearing helicopter parenting of an Eli Drinkwood saying, no, 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 no. Obviously, he's going to have final say during game day, but I think that... Kirby Moore's got the ability to do what he wants with this offense. And I hope he does because I want to see what that looks like with these players. I feel the same way about it. Like I, I, I came away even more impressed with the hire after I heard what the comments were on how they're going to go about this as the coaching staff, because I think you now get the best version of Eli Drinkwitz and also the best version of Kirby Moore. So you're going to be able to utilize the best of both of those guys. And I mean, that that can't be a bad thing. You know, the other thing that I really like about what Kirby Moore did at, at, um, excuse me, at Fresno. So they were without their starting quarterback for a few games last year. And so if anybody's looking at the numbers on what the offense did this year versus the previous year when Kirby wasn't the play caller, um, I, I, I wouldn't even look at those, throw them out because their backup quarterback was terrible. And so in the game that I watched when Fresno played their backup, they had a completely different game plan. It was like they went from a team that was running the deep overs and running a lot of inside zone and running the quick game and all of these different things to a team that's heavy RPOs. Suddenly they're using utilizing the wildcat. They're doing bubble screens. Everything's at or near the line of scrimmage because they needed to make things as simple as possible. One reads for their quarterback. Like they knew exactly what they needed to do in order to give themselves a chance to be able to win with that starter. And they did. They did a decent decent job with that guy overall. Now, the numbers, you look at them, like the points that they put up, they weren't as gaudy. They, they weren't as good as they were with their starter, which makes sense. That's why the other guy is, was the starting quarterback, and he was a good one for them. Uh, I wish he had more eligibility, because I would like to see him transfer to Mizzou, but he doesn't. But <laughs> what he was able to do, depending on the defense that they went up against, depending on the talent that he had available to him, I love seeing coaches that will put their game plan together based on the talent that they have available and based on the talent that they are going up against. If we're going up against a slot corner that stinks, let's put our best wide receiver in the slot all day long and let's go after him. If we're going up against a team that is a a run funnel, right? They are a great pass defense, but man, do they stink against the run. Well, then run it all day long. And those are the kinds of things that in one year, it is a super small sample size. It looked like Kirby Moore was willing to do. And those are things that Eli Drinkwitz did not very often do so far in his time as the OC at Missouri. So I'm excited about that. And I'm excited that I do think that, as you mentioned, you are now also going to be able to get a better version of Drinkwitz as well, because he can put all of his time and efforts into the things that he should be doing, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. You got to trust your assistants, man. That's why you make those hires. And so I'm not saying he's got to stay out of the offense room completely, but yeah, let, let Kirby cook with the ingredients that you got and, and let you Eli Drinkwitz be that pitch man that you're, you were born to be. Uh, Cause he does really good work with it. <clears throat> so I, I am, I am optimistic. It's not, you know, I don't know what that's going to mean. I certainly don't think we're going to get a repeat where, you know, last year the defense went from like 90th to, to top 20 
with one single hire and, and six transfers coming in, I don't, I, I'm, it would be asinine to think that the offense could do the same thing. However, he nailed his defensive coordinator hire after two shots. He just made his first offensive coordinator hire. If he is right, you know, this offense can get back on track. Now it involves identifying a quarterback and continuing to beef up the offensive line. But man, I I feel good about the hire that he made a hire in the first place. I'm liking the one that he made. I will have a piece next week on what a Kirby Moore offense looks like in a little bit more detail. Um, but yeah, I mean, here's the thing. We don't know if it's going to work or not until we see it happen. We we can prognosticate based off of the work that he's done before, but you never know until the guy gets into the chair and plays with the pieces that he has. Um, I had a piece drop today about Kirby Moore's resume. He did a great job as a wide receivers coach. He was able to break in a new group of guys about halfway through, identify the good ones, create a solid passing attack with Jake Hayner as his quarterback. So I think he's got a good football mind. Certainly he comes from a good pedigree and he's worked with a lot of good coaches like Jeff Tedford and Chris Peterson. So the, 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 the resume is there. The references are strong. We'll see what he does in the sec. So, yeah, that that's the thing is like, sometimes coaching hires can be a not sometimes coaching hires are a crapshoot and even if you are the guy that comes in with all of the right references and all of the right history sometimes it just doesn't work for for whatever reason it it can be a chemistry within the coaching staff issue it can Mm -hmm. be a you didn't have the quarterback issue it can be a million different things that lead to a, a coach not working out in a new situation but I mentioned I, I didn't really know a whole lot about Kirby Moore when this hire was initially made. And after reading about him, after watching a decent amount of Fresno State football, after looking into the numbers on what they did and what they didn't do, like, I really like the hire. I, I think he did a really good job of finding the right man for this job at this time. So credit where it's due. Eli Drinkwitz, one of the biggest hires that he's made thus far. You mentioned it. The first one was the Blake Baker hire last year. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. And now you got another one on the offensive side where you look at it and at least based on all of the things that we can evaluate from the outside looking in, it looks like a really good hire for Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Uh, he is slated to make $850,000 this year, eight hundred seventy-five next year, and then 900000 in 2025. So uh, not quite a million-dollar coordinator, but he is in a position to, to get there. Um, yeah, excited to see what he can do. Let's talk about a little bit of roster management. Um, oh, hey, breaking news. No, kind of breaking news. Uh, Jelani Williams is transferring to Kent State. Oh, there you go. Former four-star safety for Mizzou out of St. Louis. Uh, hit the transfer portal. He's going to be playing for Kent. Very cool. Good, good for, for him. him. Yeah. That's a good landing spot for him. Yeah, man. Like, oh, I'm telling you, man. Like, if you got some talent, but you're you're struggling to see the field, go G5. <laughs> Dominate in the G5. Get your name out there. Absolutely. Um, What was I going to talk about? Oh, right. Yeah. Roster additions, subtractions. Um, So this is kind of a weird one. Trajan Jeffcoat uh, made an announcement last Tuesday saying that he was coming back for one more year. It's going to take his graduate year, his COVID year, and he was going to spend it at Mizzou. And everybody rejoiced. 
And five days later, he said he's going into the transfer portal. He's going to go play somewhere else. Uh, can I make a wild speculation, BK, <laughs> founded on nothing? Am I allowed to do that? Yeah, please. All right. I don't think he cleared it with the coaching staff that he could come back. I think he made the announcement and the coaching staff said, ah, we actually weren't planning on you sticking around. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because, you know, not to disparage Mr. Jeff Coat, I love his story. He's been a great player. He's an all SEC player in 2020. But I mean, you don't see, you don't see an announcement that he's going anywhere else. Right, at least not yet. And I kind of get the feeling that if you said you're coming back to your to the school you're currently at, and then you hit the portal, you probably already had a landing spot picked out. Uh, and not only that, I mean he he is a good player, but I, I I can't foresee some school dropping the bag to pull him away from Mizzou. So yeah, that's my wild speculation that he he did not clear with the coaches that he had a spot, decided he was going to come back, and they said thanks but no thanks. What were what were your initial thoughts when you? When you saw this news hit. So Trajan Jeffco once upon a time was a really good player for Mizzou. Like 2020, what he was able to do is six sacks in eight games. Super impressive. I, I think it's also worth noting. Like, I think sometimes people look at the sack number and they're like, oh, that guy's a really good player. And, and Jeffco was good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from him. But Jeffco won with hustle. He won with motor. He won as being a late arriver as the guy that in, ended up getting the sack. There's value in that. There absolutely is. And again, I'm not taking anything away from what he was able to do in 2020. But that is not a skill that typically translates to long-term success. If you're a guy that is constantly around the quarterback, you're getting there quick, you're winning right off the ball. Those are the things typically that translate to long-term success at the college level or NFL level, whichever one you want to look at. And that was just never Jeff Coates' game. He was a guy that won with power. He was a guy that won late. He's pretty good against the run. He's a very nice player to have as a depth defensive end. My guess is Missouri looked at their defensive line right now and they said, man, we got a lot of guys that can help us against the run. Like we got defensive tackles that we can kick out to defensive end. Darius Robinson, for example. Mm -hmm. We can kick him out to defensive end on a running down if we need to, and we're fine. He can give us what Trajan Jeffco gave us last year. And what he gave them was two and a half sacks or two and a half tackles for loss. One sack didn't play nearly the same amount of snaps. And he was passed over by the guys that they brought in when it came to the, the transfers. I think you might be right. That's pure speculation. But I think Jeff code is one of those guys that if you don't have other options, yeah, sure. Br bring it, bring him back for one more season. But when they ended up getting a couple of guys in the transfer portal, you see what the Walker brothers are able to do in the bowl game. Maybe they liked what they saw there and they said, okay, there's a little more juice there. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's really not worth it for us to bring you back for one more season. Our roster management is easier without that. Yeah. And maybe he found out that, Hey, the, the plan for them was they're not going to play me as much next year. I'd rather go somewhere well, else where I can play. Could You yeah. know, it could be, could be a combination of both. Yeah. Absolutely. Where they said, you can come back, but we want you to know the role is going to be a little different and there's yeah. not going to be the same number of snaps for you. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Um, I was, I was looking at his production from 2020 comparing it to 2022. 420 snaps he played in 20, 414 in 22. So basically the same. But there's only eight games that he played in in 20 and 12 games that he played in in 22. <clears throat> so he had two fewer sacks in 22. He had one and a half fewer tackles for loss. Of course, you know, only two sacks this year. But like, you know, he was basically the same player in 22 as he was in 20. But the difference was that, you know, he was the guy in 20 because he had to be the guy. And in 22, he was a rotational piece. So, yeah, I, man, that might be it. Maybe it was, you know, I'm coming back and I want to be more of a star. And no, you're, you are, you are, you know, kind of, you are a contributor. I don't know. Again, wildly speculating is just, you know, that's what we can do. But um, whatever, whatever the actual reason is, he's got an opportunity to make his mark somewhere else next year. Uh, he was a graduate, so this will be his last next year will be his last year. Uh, wish him well. You know, again, good player, solid player, experienced piece. There are plenty of teams out there that could use that. Uh, but he's not going to be at Mizzou. And, you know, it, whether that... Well, I've done enough 
wild speculation for for today but um yeah best of luck to him hope he lands somewhere where where he is utilized and he can start um on the plus side the the plus positive side Missouri added two guys to the transfer portal uh one in a position like of need. those like those yeah. like it when they add yeah that's fun one we're in a position of need and one that's a cool addition <laughs> let's let's go <laughs> let's start with the offensive line because that was the one that hit home for me the hardest um a gentleman named marcellus johnson used to play for eastern michigan he was their starting left tackle for like the past four years <laughs> three years um he is a graduate student, so this will be his last year, his COVID year. Uh, 6'4", has played 44 games at Eastern Michigan, started 31 of them, and has has, has 2,217 snaps of experience, which, holy cow. Um, he was, like I said, he was a starter for Eastern Michigan and projected uh, to, to possibly you know, punch up and, and try his try it at a, at a higher level and Missouri came calling. So he said, yes, I saw an interesting note from, I think one of the PFF guys where it said that last year, Marcellus Johnson allowed 26 pressures uh, from the left tackle spot and no player on Missouri allowed more than 20 last year. So I don't know how they quantify that. That's just what I heard. But the point is, is that Missouri needed experienced pieces on the offensive line and a couple new faces to shake it up. And this is uh, this is an addition that I like. BK, do you think he's going to be starting right tackle? And uh, what do you think of the addition? Well, he's played, as you mentioned, 2,300 snaps in his collegiate career. Do you know how many of those came at a position other than left tackle? Zero. One. Oh, one. Okay. Liter- <laughs> literally one. One snap in 2020. He lined up at right tackle. I don't know if he just like wandered over to the wrong side. I don't know what happened on that specific play. Um, but he had one snap in his collegiate career in which he did not play left tackle. So my guess is he's your starting left tackle next year. Hmm. Like I, I know that sometimes people look at this and they're like, oh, you can learn the right right side. It's no different. No, the, it's um, different. imagine looking into a mirror yeah. and doing everything the opposite direction. Yeah. That is what he would be having to learn. Can he do it? Maybe like it's totally possible. And maybe what he's looking at as I I don't know what his NFL prospects are. I, I, I would imagine none, but I, I don't know. Um, but it's possible he's viewed as more of a a right tackle if he wants to continue. And maybe that's what he wants to do. I don't know. But my assumption would be the dude played 1800 snaps at left tackle over the last two years. You play him at left tackle. Why I find that to be interesting though, is like, what does that mean for Javon Foster? Yeah. Good question. What does that mean for Armand Mimbu? Like what? And I'm not even saying this is a bad thing. If you have too many qualified tackles, like that's one of them good problems to have. I just don't know the answer to that question. Like maybe you just say, hey, these guys have one year left of eligibility. We're going to have Foster on one side. We're going to have Johnson on the other. And Mimbu's going to be what he was last year, where he plays a decent amount, but he's a backup at both tackles. He's our swing tackle, and he's going to be the extra tight end. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how it works. It doesn't sound like a bad plan, but it's just a, a different one. I do want, I mean, <laughs> you know who else has played over 1,800 snaps at left tackle? Javon Foster. Yeah, uh, he, he did play, though, at right tackle in 20. Oh, he did. He spent 150 snaps there in in 2020. So at least he's done it and he has trained at that spot. So maybe they and again, this is pure speculation. But my only guess would be they they would say like, hey, he's done it on that side. Maybe this is something where you try both of them out at both sides and see which one works better at which spot. And like maybe one of them's a better run blocker. Yeah. If, for example, Foster's a better run blocker between the two, put him at right tackle, put Johnson at left, and we see how it goes, you know? I mean, yeah. Foster played nine games, got two starts in 2020. Um, I wonder if... Well, I don't know. Here, let's do some more mindless speculation. I wonder if Armand Minbu goes to right guard. You know? I, Maybe. They... they they liked EJ and Doma Ogar there, but he got injured. Mitchell Walters was kind of the 
the guard once Connor Wood bounced outside, but you know he. You probably have to put on some weight, Mimbu Wood. He's at just bulk three nineteen right now. So yeah, right. And, and I should clarify, he he probably needs to put on some strength. Yeah. Um, I think he could use a little bit more when it comes to like the loading up at the point of attack. Yeah. But I mean, it's not as if their guys along the interior last year were super bulky. You know, Tolleson. Tolleson was two eighty seven. Yeah, I mean he's. <laughs> That, that wasn't great either. So, uh, I mean, it's possible. pound tackles. It's possible. It is. I mean, just put your best guys out there. Honestly, we Always. talked about this so much last Always. year where it's like, just find your best five and go with them. So they added a guy who has a ton of starting experience that is mm-hmm. a quality college football offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Put him out there and work around that. The interior is really what they've got to figure out now because they they didn't have answers there last year. Which is crazy because you mentioned Kirby Moore likes inside zone. Inside zone was another play that Missouri called a lot. And it actually was a fairly successful play, about 40% success rate. Even with a rotating cast of guards and a center who was like 50 pounds underweight. Like, very surprising. But to your point, I mean, that's what spring's for. Marcellus Johnson's going to be there. Uh, I'm assuming EJ and Domo Ogar is going to be okay at, at that point, but you got Javon Foster, Xavier Delgado, Ben C. Polgar will be eligible. Just figure it out. That's why you got the practices. Just see what you have, and, and we'll figure out who's going to be your best five. But I like the addition. I think you could use another. Certainly an interior guy uh, or a guy who can you know be maybe a little bit of a Swiss Army knife and play a couple different positions, but you do need to get somebody at that right guard position to lock it down and not get hurt because your best guy got hurt after 104 snaps. And then it was just a rotating cast of other dudes hmm. after that. So um, yeah, nice addition. Welcome Marcellus. That's fantastic. Another dude with the last name Johnson joined him on the same day. Uh, a guy named Trevez Johnson. He comes to us from Florida where he was a uh, played Florida's star position. Now their star is basically a slot corner. Um, yeah. so he is a, a blistering 5'11, 194. He will be a <laughs> senior, a fourth year senior next year. Uh, this is another experience piece. 984 snaps to his name, 56 total tackles, 26 last year. Uh, he's not active as far as like tackles for loss, but he's logged four. He has has an interception every single year that he has played. Uh, but he is he, from what I have seen, he seems to play the slot almost exclusively uh, as a slot corner. Missouri last year did not really play slot corners. They had your star safety, boundary safety, free safety, and then your two outside corners. So if this is a, you know, he's coming in to be a rotational piece and then take over in, in 24, or if this is a Blake Baker saying, hey, I've run a four, two, five with a, a third corner. I'd like to do that again. I don't know what this means, but he seems pretty talented. Um, uh, it's always nice to add Florida defenders. Last time we did that, it was pretty good. BK, what were, what were your thoughts? Yeah. To put some numbers on what you're saying, uh, 88% of his career snaps have come in the slot. 88%, uh, for context on that, like you look at what Missouri's corners did last year, they were like 20%. You look at Martez Manuel, who spent most of his time at the star position. Mm-hmm. He had about 500 snaps last year, and half of them came in the box. Mm-hmm. So they're they're called the same name, and I think that I've seen a lot of people that have reported on his commitment to Missouri calling Johnson a safety. He's not. like He's, he's not a safety. He's not a star in the way that Missouri fans understand that position. Mm-hmm. He's a corner. He's a corner who happens to play in the slot because he's smaller and he lines up against those slot wide receivers who oftentimes like your classic ones, at least old school are, you know, under six foot and typically under 200 pounds. They're the guys that win across the middle. Mm -hmm. So that that's what you have him here for. Why I find it so interesting is what you were saying. Like the fit is not obvious to me. He doesn't play star. He doesn't really play outside corner. He's not a safety. And so are you changing your defense and therefore you were looking for this specific skill set to be able to plug into your defense? Or did this player become available and like most good coaches, you decide, you know what? Dalen Carnell is better in the box. 
So we're going to play him primarily on running downs or standard downs. Mm. And we're going to bring Johnson in for true passing downs. And he's going to be our slot corner in those scenarios where we have a better pass defender on the field. And then he'll probably rotate in on other downs as well, I would assume, as an outside corner. So you you now have, I mean, what, four or five guys that have played SEC level or Power 5 level football mm-hmm. at the cornerback position, yep. including most of what, four of them that are coming back from a year ago. I, I like the decision to take him because, I mean, it's not every day that you're able to get a guy that had three years of legit experience at a place like Florida. Um but I just I'm super curious to see how he fits into the mix. I, I don't know. I, I genuinely do not know where they're going to play him or how he's going to play in this defense. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. And I mean, you know, if he's just an insurance play or if this is truly overhauling the scheme, I don't know. But it is. I don't f- think he comes here just for no reason. Exactly. Though, right? like, exactly. He had options. This is a guy that went to Auburn. He tr- he he at least visited there. And decided his better opportunity was at Missouri. And so that's why, like, you know that they told him what his role is going to be mm-hmm. whenever they were talking with him. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, you're going to be playing a lot. He's got two years of of eligibility remaining. He's not just coming to Mizzou for it, to sit on the bench for a year or watch Chris Abrams drain and Enos Rakestraw and then start in 24. That's, that's not that his can't plan. Otherwise, it. he would have gone somewhere else. That can't be it. No. So uh, they have a plan for him. I just, I, gen- I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Neither do I. Also, there used to be a time not all that long ago where Eli Drinkwitz and his staff would only recruit corners if they were over six feet tall. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. that. Now you got Chris Abrams Drain, 5'11". Marcus Clark, 5'10". Marcus Scott, 5'11". Travez Johnson, 5'11". I don't know. Was what, that a was that a Ryan, uh, Ryan Walters thing? It might have been, yeah. And I mean, then they just like happened to take one more after he was gone and we're like oh it's a continuation of the trend and then it (laughs) like never happened again what rubes we are uh i mean this is a uh generous six feet tall so i mean that's still that still fits but i don't know what shamar mcneil or nick deloach are going to come weigh in at um but yeah i don't know really weird right back to the uh 511 or shorter to play corner so yeah, very interesting. I'll be curious to see what, if anything, we see in the spring um, and what that means for the defense going forward. But, um, <laughs> PK, I wanted to close tonight's show. So this is, what is tonight? Tonight is Tuesday, Tuesday, uh, January 10th. And last night, I, as well as probably most of you, tuned in for at least the first 17 minutes of a thorough beatdown in the national championship game. Uh, if, if this is the only place where you get your college football news, hi, hello, sorry. Uh, we don't really cover anything but Mizzou, but thank you. Um, but Georgia just beat the hell out of TCU, 65-7. to seven. And they probably could have, they tried to put up 70, but they ran out of time. So I was thinking, you know, I don't know what... Missouri fans think of their program in regards to other programs out there. Obviously everyone's got their own opinion. Um, but for me, I've, I have viewed, I have previously viewed programs like TCU or like Oklahoma state akin to Missouri. And that might be me being old and, and remembering like the late aughts as opposed to actually embracing what things currently are. But to me, TCU has always seemed like a peer program to Missouri. And here they were in the national title game, they beat Michigan in a playoff game and then they're playing Georgia for the national title. So let me just give you a very simple open-ended question, BK, that you can openly pontificate. Can Mizzou ever replicate what TCU just did? In terms of like going from zero to hero kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like as a program getting to the level that TCU You know what? At. Interpret that. However, like those you are want. two different questions. Okay. Going from zero to hero is pretty simple. Hire the right coach and find yourself a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback. If you can do those two things, oh, by the way, have a superstar receiver as well. That's a future first round pick while you have that um, Heisman caliber talent at the quarterback position. Oh, and if you have a superstar running back as well, that'd be nice. Um, If you could have those three things, have the triplets in there. 
uh, you're you're probably good to go. It's easier said than done, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, it's really, really hard to find a talent at wide receiver like Quentin Johnson. It's really, really hard to find a quarterback like Max Duggan, who suddenly figures it out in his final year on campus. It's really, really hard to make the right coaching hire where Sonny Dykes comes in. And it's like, oh, yeah, Sonny Dykes is a really good head coach. And he's been hiding in plain sight all of this time. So if you can do all of that and everything clicks and college football is down in that season as well. Yeah, that's how you can go from zero to hero. Realistically speaking, though, like, no, I, I don't think that this was a repeatable thing. And I think a lot of teams are going to try to study what happened at TCU to try to figure out, okay, is there something that we can do to be the next TCU? And I think what they're probably going to find is like, yeah, we don't have Max Duggan. And therefore, the answer is probably not. Did you find something else that you think you can find? <laughs> there is something else. I don't think you can just find it on the street like a lucky penny. I can tell you <clears throat> from TCU sources. Now, keep in mind, TCU is a private school, so financials are hush-hush. Really tough to, to find anything out. Mm -hmm. But I was listening to a TCU podcaster uh, last week, I think, who said that about two or three years ago, five gentlemen uh, who were alum of TCU donated <clears throat> half a billion dollars to the TCU football program. Half a, half a billion with a B. I don't foresee Missouri stumbling into that sort of money. Um, whether they use that for facilities, marketing, recruiting, NIL, coaching, whatever. I do not see Missouri getting that. Oh, also, by the way, finding a guy who was labeled as bad, who was actually secretly good, as well as a Heisman level quarterback who just, you know, like you said, fell asleep for three years and then figured out in the fourth <laughs> and then the NFL caliber running back and wide receiver. Yeah. Do all of that. And you too can get beat by 58 by Georgia in the national title. By the way, like, yeah. All of those players were there. I know. Like, that's the craziest part about what happened at TCU this year. Like, yeah, I was talking to a buddy today and he, he was like, hey, like. The thing that's crazy about TCU, man, is look at all the success that they had in the transfer portal. I was like, what success? What success? They got a couple of guys. Like, this wasn't a team that just, like, magically went to the portal and they were like, hey, we we suddenly dominated because of these guys that we got in the portal. I mean, you got a couple guys. This was by the what they ended up getting, though, was the players that were already there. They got the most out of them. Mm -hmm. Quentin Johnson was there. Uh, Keandre Miller was there. Max Duggan was there. Their best defensive player, Dylan Horton, was there. Now, he was a transfer earlier in his career, but he's been there now for three seasons. So I I don't know how you replicate that. That's about player development. Maybe that's the thing that Missouri can learn from this, is player development is super important. And you don't give up on guys after one or two years because you're three and four. They become different players sometimes than what you saw the first couple of seasons on uh, that they were on campus. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the lesson to be learned from TCU. To a certain extent, yes. This same TCU insider said that, you know, Gary Patterson meant to retire at the end of 17 and just couldn't walk away. So he started hiring his friends, including the strength and conditioning coach. And I know it's the biggest cliche in college football, but like literally this dude under Patterson did not care if they lifted or not. It was oh. an option. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. So like half the team did, half the team didn't. Then this new guy comes in and like, you know, what's the joke? The, you know, throwing up whatever the Nebraska uh, offensive line was throwing up three times like that joke. Not funny, but like, seriously, he was working them and, and conditioning them. And oh, all by the, all of a sudden they got good. Like, yeah, that's another thing. So you need kind of like criminal malpractice <laughs> as a coach for four years with really good players and then have a good coach come in. Like, again, it, this was lightning in a bottle. And I think the biggest thing, BK, that you mentioned, but needs to be hit on again, this was not a banner year for the quality college football teams. No. Like Alabama was down. LSU is rebuilding. Ohio state was good, but flawed. 
You know, what it, USC was talented, but flawed, had no defense. Like, you, you are a couple of plays away from TCU, not even making it in the playoff. Hell, you are uh, you are the worst field goal I've ever seen away from Georgia not making it into the national title game. Like, the margins at the top are really, really thin. And even the what a dominating performance might not have happened if Ohio State calls a few more runs and, may, and that kicker doesn't yank it to the left. Like... This is not replicable because you not only need a 2007-esque season where everyone seems to be the same, but then you need to have all those secret players and like a huge boon from a good coaching staff and just a influx of power and rejuvenation. And, oh, by the way, go six and one in one score games. Also do yeah. that. Oh, yeah, by the way, um, too. Like, there, you are not likely to see another TCU performance like that. Um just with every ingredient that was thrown into that gumbo. Can I, I add one more thing, though? Yes, let me hear it. And maybe we're about to get to the same point. I do think that the expanded playoff makes a team like TCU more likely. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, yes, because it, does. it just, like, you can now get into the college football playoff, the 12-team playoff, potentially, with two losses. So the quality, the threshold to get in is now lower. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a can you get hot for three games kind of thing, right? I mean, we've seen this in the NFL. Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. These guys are not great players, and their teams were not all-time great teams. Can you get hot? Can you make a couple of plays? Like, was TCU better than Michigan? I'm not sure. Maybe. They were for that day. Was Georgia definitely better than Ohio State? They were on the season, but Ohio State damn near beat them, probably should have beat them on the one-game playoff scenario. If Georgia lost, what happens in that college football playoff national championship game? Maybe TCU's the national champions today, you know? So, like, I I say all of that, that to say this. Weird stuff happens in a playoff scenario where you got nothing to lose if you're the underdog. The threshold to get in is lower. So I think a team like TCU is more likely to happen in future years than it was in this year, which is kind of part of the fun of it is I think we saw finally for the first time, really, what a expanded playoff can be good for why it can Mm -hmm. be good for college football. We saw it with our own eyes and we saw it in a year when they didn't have the expanded college football playoff. Absolutely. And expanding the playoff is not about making the quality of the playoff better. It's about making the participation of the playoff better. Okay. So if you all are complaining and moaning about the quality dropping off, that's not what it's about. The quality is going to get there when there are more avenues to get to the peak of the the sport. Right now, if you are an elite player and you want to play in a national title, you got to go to Ohio State, Alabama, or Georgia. It's flat out. When you all of a sudden where you can do it on the West Coast and those California quarterbacks don't go to the Southeast, where those Texas running backs don't go Southeast, they stay in Texas or hell, you know, they go, they go to the the Pacific Northwest. Like when you can diversify the talent by opening up avenues to have multiple teams get in there, you spread out the wealth, you spread out the talent and you make it more feasible. Blue chip ratio. I've talked about it before. BK, do you know what the blue chip ratio of Georgia and TCU were going into this game? I know Georgia was just like absurd. <laughs> Something like what, of 60, 70% of their, their roster blue chip? Uh, I want to give you another shot because it's way more than that. Okay. I, I was I was trying to go low. Um, let's go 85% blue chip. That is that is much, much closer. So <sighs> and I think TCU was like what, 30? <laughs> you're close so tcu was at 23 percent okay um georgia was at 80 82 percent okay 82 percent of georgia's roster were four and five star guys 23 percent of tcu's roster was four or five star guys for comparison do you know missouri's blue chip roster off the top of your head We've talked about this. I should know it. Uh, is it like 30, 30 something? Nope. It's the exact same as TCU, 23%. Really? Okay. Yep. Yep. So if you are a team like Missouri, again, the avenues to get on the playoff are better. Okay. It's good for West Coast teams. It's good for East Coast teams. It's good for Midwest teams and even Midwest teams who work, play for the SEC. Because guess what? Playing in the SEC 
gives you like plus two points in the playoff committee. Okay. If Missouri somehow finds a way to win 10 games, they're in the SEC and there are 12 slots to fill in the playoff. Could happen. Mm-hmm. It could get there. So TCU operates in a Big 12 that will soon be out without Oklahoma and Texas. So they kind of have a clear road to try and do this as much as they want. For Missouri, just you know, win your non-cons and then win seven SEC games with, with a talented roster. You can get there too. So it's a good thing. And I, all I've seen, the only people who complain about you know the quality of the playoff are fans of Georgia and Ohio State and Alabama and Texas. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about everybody else. So, yeah. And um, the other thing is like everything else in college football is designed for you to succeed. So believe Yes. Off. Yeah. Yeah. Go shove it. <sighs> anyway, I think that's it. That's all I really want to talk about. Any parting shots for you? I don't think so, man. Um, it's it's been a really good start to the offseason if you're a Missouri fan. Like mm-hmm. the mass exodus that was expected to come via the transfer portal has not taken place. You've lost what is it, two significant pieces really via the portal. Mm-hmm. Love yep. it going to Georgia. And now if if you want to consider him to be a significant piece, Trajan Jeffco. That's that's really it, right? Am I missing somebody else? Oh, Tyron Hopper's coming back. That's good. Right, but I'm I'm talking about that that left. Oh, uh, Dom Lovett, Trajan Jeffco. Uh, I think that's pretty much. That's it. basically it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, among the significant contributors from a year ago, and you've already replaced some of the production along the defensive line, or at least you're hoping with a, a transfer. You're bringing in now a corner. You're bringing in an offensive lineman. You brought in a wide receiver to be able to be a deep threat for you next year. You have now brought in an offensive coordinator, which all of us wanted to see. You're bringing back the vast majority of your team, including guys that we thought might test the waters in the NFL draft, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, with Tyron Hopper, mm-hmm. Chris Abrams, Drain, um, Enos Rakestraw, yep. Dennis or uh, Darius Robinson, Jalen Carlisle, like all those guys are coming back as well. It's been a very good start to the offseason for Missouri. And I, I think the one there's a couple of spots. I still want to see them get another defensive end. I would like mm-hmm. to see them get an offensive lineman. Wouldn't hurt to get another wide receiver. I think that they could use a running back and a tight end. So that's yep. five spots maybe that you could look still to fill via the transfer portal. Even if that comes in the summer, that's not a huge deal. They can wait on some of those. Mm-hmm. But the only other spot to, that I that I have questions about is, is quarterback. So no big deal. Just find your max <laughs> Doug. Everything's good. That's it. That's it, man. That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rock M flagship at Rock M Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.